you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. So we are super excited today. We have something a little bit different for you guys. And this is going to be going over all of the tax strategies, the benefits, and what you're going to want to take advantage of because there are dozens, uh, if not hundreds, of different tax breaks that you can really take advantage of as a real estate investor or business owner in general as an entrepreneur. And uh, I have one of the best, probably the, the top dog here, the cash flow doctor himself. He's been uh, in close relationships and uh, connections actually teaching with Ty Lopez for cryptocurrency. Um, you know, he, he's got the, the cash flow doctor himself. He's got all these different tax strategies to be able to help set up your entity the proper way, as well as taking advantage of all of the right opportunities out there when it comes down to tax breaks. So uh, you're definitely going to want to stay tuned for this one. Eric Neem, what's up, brother? How you doing, man? Doing fantastic. The cash flow doctor is in the house. That's right. That's right. So Eric, for anybody out there that might not know exactly who you are, do you mind just diving into it a little bit and and uh, letting them know a little bit more of your story, who you are. Yeah, totally. So on a high level, just what I do right now, because all of us as entrepreneurs, we're always in a state of evolution, is uh, I focus on doing virtual CFO services for investors as well as entrepreneurs. And what that is, is a high level advisor. Think of somebody as your board of directors or your uh, your chief financial advisor, just helping you streamline your business, optimize your profits, and maximize how much money you keep. Because it's always about how much you keep. It's not about how much you make. It's all about how much you keep. That's right. So story-wise, you know, Brandon, um, I'm going to try to condense this into a Cliff Notes version because as we all do as entrepreneurs, we all have incredible life stories and a ton of like crazy life experiences. But for myself to condense it, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 16. I've only had one nine to five job and that was uh, between high school and college at a summer call center. And I was like, yeah, this isn't for me. (laughs) But I've always been entrepreneurial. I first started off like most young men or most young boys in like uh, selling and trading baseball cards and comic books because my, my parents are refugees, didn't have much. So I always had to find ways to pay for the hobbies I enjoyed. Then I got into playing paintball, which if you're familiar with the sport, it's really expensive. Yep. So I started uh, flipping used equipment from like message forums. This is before Craigslist was around. Message forums on eBay. And at 18, I was one of the first eBay power sellers. Uh, from there, when I got to college, um, uh, when I was going to college, I signed up for a free credit card because, um, you know, my dad always said, if it's free, it's for me. So I signed for a free credit card and they somehow with no income, no credit to give me a $5,000 credit line. This is back in the easy credit era of like, I think it was like 2000, 2001. Okay. Got $5,000 credit line. And, uh, as a young man, 
as many young men are, I was super interested in cars. I love imports. I had a Toyota or two, loved hooking it up. And so I ended up starting a business importing and uh, selling aftermarket car parts. I was supposed to be going to business school, but instead I got my uh, business degree from the School of Hard Knocks. That's right. Uh, over the four years in college, I have no idea how I graduated with the GPI I graduated with because I, I swear I worked like 80 hours a week in my business. Somehow still had some semblance of a social life and still somehow graduated with a degree in economics and finance. Anyway, that business went really well. We're selling about a million, million and a half a year in sales volume of like rims and body kits and turbos. And then uh, I met my uh, girlfriend, uh, now my ex-wife at the time in uh, spring break in Florida, moved up to Mass, got on the financial services, was a financial planner for a number of years. And then ironically was looking to get a tax break. So I started a, uh, a tax business I bought into a franchise called Liberty Tax Service. Yep. And I came home one day and said, hey, honey, I know we were talking about starting up this tax business. I uh, just want to let you know I bought four territories, and she almost <laughs> fell out of her chair. Yeah. Almost had a heart attack. That was almost a breakup moment at that point. Um, started those, each one of those offices, one per year, quickly became one of the fastest-growing franchisees in the, uh, the income tax space in Massachusetts. Then I helped my uh, now ex-wife focus on her YouTube channel, which blew up to a massive million and a half subscriber channel, sold all my tax businesses back east, and now I focus on um, just guiding and mentoring uh, high-level entrepreneurs, real estate investors, crypto investors with their, with their finances and their overall business perspective. So I've had, I've had quite a journey, as I bet you have as well, Brandon, and uh, I know I'm missing a ton of details, but um, you could always ask me for more details at another point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, of course. No, I, I know your story definitely gets deeper from there, but uh, from a far distance view, that is, that is pretty amazing. Just, you know, the journey that you've actually taken. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I definitely want to dive deeper into, I know you already covered it a little bit for a second, why you actually, you know, decided to jump into taxes. You were looking for a tax break for yourself, you mentioned, but yeah. You know, for most people, uh, that kind of, the, they, they might be looking for the tax strategy, but it might either go over their head or just the, the interest is not there. So what actually made you like stick to it? And I feel like you truly stand out in comparison to the average tax person because you, you bring the energy, you bring like the, the, the comfortable vibe, the, the sexiness back to it. And there's really not too many sexy avenues within tax. Uh, except the whole savings part at the end of the day. Right, right. No, I appreciate that. And yeah, I am a sexy guy. Just, you know, I don't know if there's a video component to this podcast, but uh, let me wink at your audience. Hey, what's up, guys? Yeah. <laughs> so this is just the behind the scenes. If you guys want to check out the full thing, you got to check out the YouTube. <laughs> you check it out. So it's, you know, it's really interesting. I, what I really enjoy first in financial planning and in a tax business isn't necessarily the numbers component behind it, but yeah. it's the relationship behind it and the financial education side of it. When I was a financial planner back in Massachusetts, I ran and was a host of three different financial education radio shows. Mm. And what I started realizing is a lot of folks, they had a lot of questions when it came to taxes, because at the end of the day, like we all have this, and not all of us, but a, a great vast majority of Americans have this anxiety when they hear the, the three-letter word IRS, right? Yeah. You, hear the, you hear that three-letter word and you immediately cringe. And you're like, oh, man, I got so many questions. I also have so much fear for it. 
And so the more I started getting questions about IRS tax code and how to reduce taxation, I started realizing, hey, this is really interesting. So I started looking deep into it. And I was using it as part of an education component of the, uh, the radio shows I was on. And then when I got into the tax business, to be honest, it was, it was purely uh, just a business opportunity that I saw there's a problem in the market and there was a need that needed to be filled. And I thought it was a great opportunity. But the more I dove deep into it, um, what's really interesting is in the Liberty Tax business model, we work with folks from all walks of life. I had people who were um, just students just barely starting out to successful C-level uh, employees at like Toyota Corporation where they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. I've had clients who were um, strippers and pole dancers to clients who were plumbers to real estate flippers, all the way down to just folks that just had a normal nine to five job. And what really fascinated me about the tax base is the ability to almost talk to all of these people with a, same, with a simin, uh, similar common knowledge that they all could kind of like have a fear of, but help alleviate that fear by breaking it down into plain English. So at the end of the day, like I could, I could quote tax code and I could talk about tax code all day, but it bores the heck out of me. Yeah. And I'm sure it bores the heck out of a lot of your audience. What I really enjoy about taxation is the ability to, to, to break it down to something that's simple, easy to understand. And once you are able to understand how the government works and how the tax code works, you could really understand how you could leverage it to be the most beneficial for you. I mean, at the end of the day, there's two things in life that's guaranteed, it's death and taxes. Yeah. So you're going to be paying your taxes. And at one point, uh, until somebody figures out a way to transfer souls into the computers or whatever, make some AI of, of us, like we're all going to kick the bucket at some point. So if we're all going to be paying taxes at, at, at one point or another in our life, it makes sense for us to all uh, be able to understand it and also make sure we're not paying um, more than we'd really need to. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, they are made for a reason. So you can't take advantage of them. You just need to educate yourself on, um, you know, the different models out there to really be able to take advantage of. 100%. 100%. So I definitely want to dive into that in a few minutes. But um, I, I really love the aspect that, you know, you just mentioned eliminating that fear and taking that fear away from people, because I'm a big believer that I feel like a lot of people out there uh, typically are you know, are really controlling or getting controlled by fear. And, yes. um, and, and that's something that just overall breaks my heart. And, uh, and you're giving solutions to help take away that fear. So that's super awesome. Um, yeah. Let's talk about setting up entities. And as for a real estate investor, now I know there's certain entities that are, are made for, you know, depends on what type of real estate you're really diving into. But um, as far as, I guess, giving guidance on exactly the difference between some of them and, and, you know, does a brand new person getting started into real estate, do they really need one up front? Mm, that's a really good question. So let's first break it down into the two different forms of income you can make as a real estate investor. Because mm. real estate investor is a relatively ambiguous word. Yeah. Investor could mean you're a, a buy and hold person that rents out property, or it could mean that you're an active flipper where you're actively flipping properties, right? And both have different tax considerations. Right. So the entity that you would choose for either or will be kind of different. So let's kind of break it down. Let's first start with the buy and hold person, and then we'll talk about the active person, right? So when you're a buy and hold person, one of the biggest concerns that you have, especially if you're 
a landlord is liability purposes. You don't want somebody to sue you and go after all the rest of your assets or your personal assets. So most folks that get into real estate as a passive investor, as a buy and hold person, open what they call an LLC, which stands for limited liability company. So limited liability company basically means it limits the liability or what people can chase you after if they were to sue you or take you to court uh, based on just your company assets. So they can't go after your personal savings account. They can't go after your personal car, what have you, right? So as a passive investor, you want to utilize the LLC. It's beneficial for you tax-wise because it's what they call a pass-through entity. So all the money that the entity collects from the rents it passes through to your personal income tax return. It's relatively simple to administer and to manage. There's, mm. there's a potential, like, I guess, like a complex version of an LLC if you have multiple properties and multiple um, different stratifications of properties. Like, let's say you have a couple of single families and a couple of multi-units and a couple of, like, large pieces of property. You may want to use what they call a series LLC. Yeah which is approved in, I think, 14 states out of the 50. And then it allows you to have one big umbrella LLC and little baby LLCs or daughter LLCs off of that. So you basically have like simplified tax filing and you kind of, you save money on the tax filing standpoint. Um, but overall, like when you're an LLC as a passive investor, the income passes through to you and you pay your tax based on your ordinary income tax rate. And obviously you could, you could offset your income with all of your normal business related expense deductions. So that's a passive investor. And that's right? for limited liability. At the end of the day, that LLC, it is just limiting it, like your liability. So you can still get sued and people can still get to your other assets technically, correct? Yeah, they can, they can go after your assets that are only within that LLC, only within that company. Okay. So if you have multiple LLCs, and you get sued, I mean, God forbid, knock on wood or whatever you yeah. want to do. Um, they could only pursue the assets that are contained within that LLC unless there's proven that there's commingling of funds or um, some other complex, maybe criminal component, which could complicate that. But for most businesses that uh, are running things on the up and up, it, it will limit your exposure to what's in that particular company. Okay, awesome. So the secondary source of income is if you're an active investor and if you're both doing flipping and you're also holding properties, you may need multiple entities for this to happen, right? And the reason that you want multiple entities because you want to segment and separate different business purposes because one is taxed at a different rate or taxed a different way than the other one. So mm -hmm. active means that you're actively flipping properties. You go out and you go to an auction or you go to a wholesaler, you buy a piece of property at discount, you rehab it, put money into it. And then you go to your realtor and say, Hey, we want to flip this property and make a profit on it. So that's active. You're actively working as opposed to mailbox money. So that's the biggest difference, right? Okay. So mailbox money, um, you know, money that just shows up in your mailbox, which we all love that's passive. And money where you're actively renovating, rehabbing, even if you're not physically doing the labor, you're hiring contractors to do it, that's called active income. Sure. Now, the caveat with active income is you get taxed not only on your income tax bracket, but you also have potentially self-employment tax. So if any of your listeners out there listening and have a normal nine to five job and they get a W-2 or a paycheck at the end of each week or every two weeks, you look at your deductions and you see a part of your deductions goes to Medicare and Social Security automatically, yep. right? 
when you're a self-employed person earning active income, you have to be paying for that self-employment tax, that Medicare and Social Security. So with that said, you would set up specific entities to allow you to reduce the amount of that that you pay. So if you had your, if you had your company inside of an LLC and you're actively producing income, all of that profit is subject to an additional 15.3%, mm. which could be a significant amount of money. So let's say if you made 100 grand on a deal, on top of your ordinary income tax rate, whichever it would be, you're paying an automatic additional $15,300. Now, what could you do with an extra $15,300? You could do a lot with that, right? You could, you could possibly buy a whole nother property, put down on another property, whatever. Yeah. But that goes to Uncle Sam as your self-employment tax. Wow. So a lot of real estate investors come to me and say, Eric, you know what? I know I got to pay my tax, but how can I reduce how much I'm paying in self-employment tax? Because this is eating away at my profits, right? If it's fifteen thousand three, let's say you made two hundred grand, you know, you're almost doubling that, right? So if we can find a way to strategize to save against it, that's ideal. So if you're an active investor, an entity to choose, and again, like um, before you utilize any of the information I provide, I highly recommend either getting in touch with myself so I could get a better handle of your exact tax situation, yeah. or get in touch with a legal or tax professional, like everything I provide information wise on this podcast, just use it for information, but get an advisor to look at it. Right. Yeah. Because everyone's situation is different. But with that said, like typically for an active investor, I would recommend considering what they call an S corporation and an S corporation allows you to have a company, you pay yourself payroll, right? So now you get a paycheck, which is actually pretty nice to get a paycheck from your own company. But now the remaining amount of the profit that comes out, you don't have to pay that self-employment tax. So mm. you're probably sitting there saying, dang, that sounds really complicated, Eric. How's this really, how's this really work out? So let's say, for example, you had your 100,000 bucks in profit from flipping a house, right? If you're an LLC or a sole proprietor, the easy way of doing things, you would pay an additional $15,300 of tax on that if that was your end of year profit. Okay. Now, if you're an S corporation, and you said to me, hey, Eric, you know, um, I'm going to pay myself $40,000 in salary because it's reasonable based on what I'm doing. And the remaining $60,000 i am going to take out as a profit distribution. Well, now you've cut your self-employment tax down by 60%. So on the $40,000 of income that comes out, you're going to be paying about, let's say, $5,000 of self-employment tax, five or $6,000 of self-employment tax. But the remaining sixty dollars comes out that 9,000 that used to go to Uncle Sam is back in your pocket. I love it. So just by choosing the right entity and setting it up properly, there is some legwork involved. You know, there is some compliance stuff that's involved with it. So there are costs involved to cost involved to set it up a little bit of complexity, but not too much. Um, but just by making the right decisions, you could save yourself thousands of dollars a year uh, in that self-employment tax. Yeah, that's tremendous. So now let's talk about setting it up exactly. Um, now, anybody could potentially set it up themselves fairly easy, correct? Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, to set it up properly and really make sure that all the I's are dotted, T's are crossed, and uh, the legal work is really placed uh, in, the, in the proper form that it needs to be, you know, what is your recommendations on that? Yeah, you know, the, uh, we are living in a society where everybody wants to DIY things on their own. And I get it. You know, we're all trying to save money and, 
that, you know, services can be expensive and what have you. The challenge is um, a lot of folks out there use tools like LegalZoom or other form filing companies. And, you know, I think they're really good for what they do. But the problem is when you start adding any type of complexity or true liability, like real estate, especially buy and hold, when they set it up, they have basically a, a box standard, um, like corporate notes. They have a box standard, like uh, corporate bylaws, which is for everyone that purchases that package. They don't have one that's specific for real estate and for the state that you operate in. So I always would recommend seeing an attorney or at the very least, if you do utilize like a tool like LegalZoom or another form filing um, company, have an attorney at least overview. There's a lot of attorney services out there that will review documents for you at a relatively low cost. Yeah. And that might be a great way to save money because typically, you know, if you set up an LLC on LegalZoom, you might charge, be charged like $500 or so. Whereas if you went to an attorney, it could cost you $1,500 to $2,000. So I totally get it that folks are trying to run lean and keep some money in their pocket. The challenge is um, sometimes the, the paperwork that the legal zooms of the world fill out for you may not have the right corporate bylaws or the right language to protect you adequately. So I would still highly recommend having somebody at least review it. Yeah. So you setting it up yourself or not the most professional person to set it up like aunt Susie or, you know, whoever it may be that thinks they know it all um, that could potentially really, you know, it takes away the fear for the moment until the IRS does start knocking or when you truly need, you know, the LLC to work for you properly or S Corp, whatever it may be. Um, you know, so I, I do highly recommend, you know, finding somebody, reach out to Eric uh, or, yeah. you know, find somebody that is in your area that can really break down your particular situation and, and figure out, you know, what is the best next step for you. Yeah. And, you know, I, I remember a situation and I'll, again, I'm not an attorney, so I'm not giving any type of legal advice. Of I heard this from a, an attorney that I work with. He had a client that they did their corporation through LegalZoom and it was a, a digital assets company. And uh, they were taken to court for something that had happened. And the judge was looking through the corporate bylaws and it was a LegalZoom document. Again, it was a box standard cookie cutter agreement. Yeah. And uh, the, the judge was like, hey, I noticed there's nothing in here that specifies the treatment of this type of an asset. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have to revert to the state standard. And the guy ended up losing the, the court case, lost millions of dollars because of it, because he chose to save money. So at the end of the day, like LegalZoom is everything. They do have their place. But when you're subjecting real money to risk, like if you're in real estate, you know, if you're just doing an eBay business, like, and you're just hustling like stuff you found on Craigslist, I wouldn't really be too worried about utilizing LegalZoom as, as your entity filer. But if you're subjecting real money, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars of your net worth, I would spend a little bit more to protect it. For sure. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I naturally feel like I want to laugh when you're telling that story because it's... But at the same time, I'm like crying inside. I'm like, damn, he lost millions of dollars trying to yeah. save a couple bucks here and there. That sucks. Um, so you lot. definitely don't want to find yourself in one of those situations. But um, okay, let's talk about taxes for a second and yeah. and uh, tax breaks. You know, what can I write off? What can I write off? Um, mm. Does does that really have? Does your entity have a lot to do with that? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. As a normal employed person that's taking a W-2 home from, let's say, an engineering job yeah. or a nursing job, there used to be an itemized deduction for ordinary business or ordinary employee expense where you could deduct things like union dues and mileage that you drive to yep. different workplaces and everything. Um, they took that away. So as an entrepreneur, one of the, the greatest tax deductions or tax breaks available is being an entrepreneur. And let me explain, like as an entrepreneur, you have a lot of things that you may not have thought of deducting, but are completely deductible. Let's say you travel to see clients or you go, you go drive to different parts of the state to look up real estate properties. Some folks might be like, no, I'm just driving to check it out. No, you're, you're actually using your capital and time to invest in your business. Or some folks may join different masterminds or go to educational events like B2B Live or Billion Dollar Body Elite, which, which I'm part of, or the different brotherhoods or Thrive or whatever. Yeah. Um, and a lot of folks say, oh, no, those are cool education things. But if you're self-employed, you could use those as business expenses. So it, it really comes down to this. Anything that can be ordinarily used and customarily used for your business, they are legitimately tax deductions. Mm. So things that are ordinarily used, like let's say I buy a computer where I pay for um, – education classes where I pay for marketing materials or Facebook ads to bring clients in. Those are ordinary and customary business expenses. Now for me, I'm not a huge influencer kind of person. So buying and leasing a Lamborghini probably wouldn't be something that's customarily used as a tax professional. Now if I was Ty Lopez, yeah, uh, that's, that's a different story because he uses his props for his company, yeah. you know, and you know, I'm, I'm actually talking with his tax advisor and helping him guide him through some stuff. And you know, those things are legitimately used for, for business purposes. Right. But it has to be, like I said, customary and usual for your business. When it comes to, to tax breaks, there's, you know, a couple of basic ones out there. Again, like you could utilize home office expense, segment a part of your house for business related purposes. That's something a lot of folks are afraid to use because they think there's audit risk. If it's legitimate, go for it, right? Um, hiring your kids, you know, like I have a, I have a 15 year old and he helps me with stuff at home um, in my home office at my business, like shredding paper, filing paperwork. And uh, I'm teaching him right now about social media and marketing and everything. So instead of me paying him allowance, he's on payroll, right? So that's an, another like really neat business tax deduction, putting your kids on payroll. I mean, like why pay him like a $20 a week, like allowance, make him do some work. That's right. And pay him, get a tax break, right? Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and you could redirect that money to a, uh, a you know, uh, uh, like a Roth IRA or a college savings vehicle for him. So that's a really neat that. tax break. That's so you know? smart. And you can do that at any, any age to a certain degree, correct? Yeah, they just have to be able to provide some type of work function. So okay. unless, you, unless you're like nine month old was like a, a YouTube influencer or, or you use them like in your Instagram post or something like that, yeah. you probably can't say your nine month old is like filing paperwork. They have to do legitimate business tasks. Yeah. Um, and the flip side too, not just with kids, but you can also hire your parents. I have a lot of clients that are yeah. they, they're supporting their elderly parents. And I'm like, well, what do they do? It's like, well, we're just, I'm just giving them like three grand a month to live on. Do they help you out with anything? Yeah, they come into my, my office. They help clean up. And, you know, they go check out the, the other rental properties I have. It's like, oh, okay, great. Let's set up a management company. Have your mom and dad own that management company and charge you money to manage the properties. Now your parents are tax deductions, right? The money that you're going to be spending on them anyway, why don't you get a tax break for it and give them a real job function. And now you give them like something to look forward to. Hey, mom, dad's working for me. You know, that's kind of cool. 
That is cool. So there's a, there's a lot of like really neat, um, and these are these are not gray area things. These aren't like I'm not teaching you. I, I hate the word loophole because loophole implies that it's something that's like in the gray area that's illegal. Yeah. These are not tax loopholes. These are written right into the tax code. It's just the majority of tax professionals they don't utilize it because it takes a lot of out of the box thinking to utilize it. Yeah. No, I agree. There's nothing new that's, you know, here it's just you're either educated and know how to to actually use them and implement them or yeah. you just don't want to put in the extra work to to really be able to get those savings. It's exactly. funny because whenever I go on a uh, vacation or like we're about to go to Thailand and I'm thinking of different ways that I could potentially meet up with some people over there or check mm-hmm. out some real estate and then use it as a write-off uh, for the future. But yeah, <laughs> or what you could do too. I mean, you could, you could say that your trip to Thailand is your annual meeting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you're a corporation, you write it in, you put it in your corporate minutes saying trip to Thailand from this date to this date is your annual meeting. Now, obviously stuff that is personal there, yeah. Um, let's say you and your you and your your girlfriend go get a massage or something. Unless she's part of a corporation, you probably you can't write that off. But the overall trip itself, yeah. you know, you set up as a corporate meeting um, and you set up one or two days where you're just sitting plotting things up while you're sitting in on a you know a cabana on the beach in Phuket or something like that. That's yeah. you know that's a tax that's a tax deductible write off right there. That's so cool. I do that a lot with my son. Like he's employed by me and we take trips. Um, I speak at a lot of events around the U S and I've just spoken at an event down in Jamaica and he, he travels with me as my assistant basically. So his tickets are deductible and all of our expenses are, are written off, you know? So there's so many really creative things. Like even on the real estate side, if you're investing in like large multi-unit properties, there's this really neat concept called cost segregation. And what that is, is let's say you buy a, let's say a $20 million, like hundred unit, like building. Now, normally you could you could deduct that thing or depreciate over 39 and a half years, which is a long freaking time to is write that off. 39 and a half years? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. commercial is 39 and a half. So that's a Gosh. long period of time. There's residential is like 27 and a half. Yeah. Residential. So four units and under would be 27 and a half. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Then, like multi-unit commercial is like a long period of time. But what cost segregation is, is we've come in with a engineer and a structural analyst, and they come in and they tear apart, not physically tear apart, but they tear apart every asset that's in the building so that way we depreciate things over five or seven years as opposed to 39 and a half. What happens is we had a client, he, was, he bought a, a $20 million property, and instead of taking like a couple hundred thousand dollars a year depreciation deduction, he's writing off like $18 million like in year one. Wow. To be able to, you know, just from buying the property, which is phenomenal. So that's like one really cool tip. Like another one is a new one that just came out this year called um, the Opportunity Zone credit. And I'm, I don't know if I'm going like way over people's heads. So you know, hit me up if if bring any it on just in case. You never know. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, and awesome. you know, there, there's some people in here that are doing multifamily as well. So it's cool. Yeah. Perfect. There's this really cool tax code that came out, was just approved. And a lot of us in the tax, uh, professional world are still getting all the details of it, but here's a general gist of it. Um, there are certain parts of the U S that are economically depressed, certain parts of LA, certain parts of California. Every state has a spot, Detroit, for example, certain parts of Florida, 
and this is the way it works. The government wants to give you a tax incentive for investing in these economically depressed areas. Yeah. And typically what happens in economically depressed areas when investment comes in, that brings up the overall value over time. So it's really smart when you kind of think of it. Yeah. And so here's the thing, right? Let's say if you buy a piece of property and you, you, you flip it and you make a, a profit, you have a capital gain. The IRS says, hey, you know what? You could do one of two things. You could either um, cash that out and pay short-term capital gain on it, uh, or, or you, could, you could do a 1031 exchange and defer the gain until you sell it, or you could use an opportunity zone and create a company that invests in these opportunity zone areas. So you could go and buy and hold in these areas. And if you hold on to the properties or you hold on to this company for more than 10 years, all the capital gains taxes disappears. So 1031, it defers it until you eventually sell and cash out. Then you pay your tax, right? But if you don't that, do that, yeah, if you don't that, do that, you pay your tax. But yeah. with the opportunity zone, you could potentially pay zero tax. I love this. I didn't know this. Is this, this is new? It's brand new. It just passed as part of um, Trump's tax code that passed in uh, February. And for me, I'm politically agnostic. I'm, I'm a libertarian, so I'm I could care less of, of, of what either political party says. All I look at is how is the tax code going to impact and improve the lives of my clients? Yeah. And that's a pretty cool one. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all entrepreneurs, so we just adjust anyway. So exactly. it, it is what it is. I love it. Exactly. Well, that is a cool one. Uh, I haven't heard of that. I'm very excited that you brought some knowledge to me on, uh, on the opportunity zone. That is crazy. Mm -hmm. So 10 years, uh, you hang on to the property, you buy and hold 10 years, and you, it just eliminates you know, down the road if you ever do sell. Um, any capital gains you don't need to worry about. Yeah. And what's interesting about it too, it's, it's you don't necessarily need to hold the property, but the LLC or the corporation that you have that's holding properties has to be open for 10 years and 90% of the assets have to be in that um, opportunity zone area. So you could be actively buying and selling properties over the course of time but as long as that LLC or corporation is still open after 10 years, it wipes out. They basically step up your basis where the capital gain no longer exists because the basis is now wherever the profit was, what you sold the property at. That is awesome. I really, really love that. <laughs> cool. So it's a cool one. Yeah, that is really cool. See, I mean, taxes can be exciting, can be very fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like when you think of it, right? Like we have, I have clients that they sell properties, they have capital gains taxes of, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Now what, what, what would like an extra hundred thousand dollars mean to your family? What could you do with it? I mean, yeah, you could probably buy another property or maybe you could take away, you know, take 15% of it and give it to your church or give it to your favorite charity. Exactly. Or maybe that's another like couple of vacations for your family. I mean, like, how does that make you feel? It's like the IRS is giving you an incentive to pay less in tax invest in an area that needs that type of economic investments or helping average people out, you know, lower income people out and they're giving you money to do that. Yeah. Dang. It's crazy. Perfect. Yeah. I, I have uh, some connections with some, you know, very big dogs in the real estate industry. So instead of paying their taxes, they will straight up, um, you know, buy a or build a school and they, they rather, you know, 
doing they they rather know exactly where their money is going with their taxes and and do something you know tremendously huge and impactful um that they are in control of which is yeah. pretty cool um and then really have cool. you know pay taxes afterwards so uh i love these strategies this is very cool um I have a personal question when it comes down to my dogs. Mm -hmm. Now, is there any way that I could use them as any write-offs? I mean, security. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. So there's a court case. Um, and I like citing IRS tax code court because it's so fascinating. Like one of the, my most favorite court cases was this one about breast implants and a stripper. Um, yeah. I forget what her name was, but she was able to, the IRS disputed it and they're like, why do you need, breast augmentation, but she could show through her records that she made 30% more income because of it. So there's this other court case where the, this guy was deducting food for his dogs. And what he had was he had a junkyard business. And we all heard the story of the junkyard dog, right? Yeah, the meanest yeah. Rottweiler protecting a junkyard. So the IRS disputed this, took him to tax court and says, hey, you can't be deducting veterinarian bills and food for your dogs because that's a personal expense. It's a family pet. And he said, no, these dogs are security for my junkyard and he showed he showed a video and he showed pictures of what his dogs do and everything and the judge sided with that that taxpayer um as yes these are security for the junkyard itself really at the end of the day you just have to remember is it usual and customary in your business but more importantly that can you validate and verify that's used for a business expense. So let's say I had a Pomeranian, right? The cutest, I love fluffy little dogs. So uh, <laughs> like, let's say I had a Pomeranian or a Corgi, the stubby legs, little dogs. I love them. But if I went to IRX tax court and I went to the judge and says, yes, this Pomeranian is my, my vicious security for my, uh, for my junkyard. The, the, the judge will look at me and be like, yeah, that's, that's a little, that's a little uh, sketchy right there. I don't think a that's side yeah. a little far-fetched there. What's he going to do? Snuggle him to death? He's going to choke him on your fur or something like that. So yeah. at the end of the day, um, to, to kind of answer your question, if can it be usual and customary in your business purpose? And if so, can you validate the actual use and function of that part of your business? So if your dog travels with you, let's say you, you do invest in lower income areas where you do need some additional security or presence when you're looking at properties um, and your dog rides you. Like I have a client, he's a tow truck driver. He does repossessions and he brings his rot rile with him all the time because he's been in situations where like people would physically have an altercation, but they see a mean Rottweiler, oh, they step down, right? If you can justify, verify that and document that, I would argue that it is a valid business purpose. But again, if it was a Pomeranian or like a little Chihuahua, might be might be dubious on that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a little difficult. <laughs> kill him with cuteness. <laughs> yeah, kill him with cuteness, right? <laughs> that's awesome. Cool. Well, uh, for anybody like just getting started, you know, what do you do you think it is something very important to get that entity like all set up? because um, I'll kind of answer it my like my opinion up front uh, before before I give you the chance to answer yours. But it kind of breaks my heart seeing so many people out there that they they lack in taking action, but they they feel the need. You know, this is the reason: not having the LLC set up or uh, the S corp or you know corporation, whatever it may be. Like they don't have that set up, so that's their excuse for not actually taking action and getting a deal or you know, they actually set up the LLC, 
um, and then they feel like they're all prepared, but then they sit on the LLC for a year or two before they actually get a deal. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Mm, that's a good question. You know, there's two quotes that come to mind. First one is a failure to plan is a plan to fail, mm. right? So by not preparing yourself, not setting things up, um, that could set, that could let, lead you down to failure in the situations where you need it most. Um, and there's another one, and I forget the exact way it was worded out, but it's something like, I would rather be prepared for an opportunity that never comes than have an opportunity come to me and not be prepared for it. So does it make sense to set up an entity even though you haven't started operating the business? Maybe, maybe not. Um, yes, there is an investment. There's a cost involved with it. And overall, you can always deduct that as, as an amortized like business startup cost. Yeah. But I've had a lot of clients who have come to me. They've already purchased the property and says, shoot, Eric, I need to put this in an LLC, but I've already purchased the property. And now I have to explain it to the mortgage company that I'm putting it in an LLC. How do I do this? How do I? And it makes things, I mean, there's ways around it, but it makes things yeah. inherently much more complicated than somebody who set up an LLC. And again, like to set up an LLC, and I, I don't recommend doing it on your own or DIYing it if you don't, if you have the, uh, the means to. But if you were to set it up on your own, it's relatively low cost to set these things up and it's better to have it than to not have it. So it's just my personal, you know, my personal idea and my personal viewpoint that I've come across so many clients that are unprepared for things happening, just like somebody who passed away without a will or a trust in place. And now it's like a huge disaster. Same thing for your business, right? If you come across an opportunity, you're starting to work, you don't have anything set up. You end up waiting to the end of the year and like, holy crap, I haven't done anything. Now I'm kind of stuck. Now I'm paying too much in tax. Now I'm, you know, when you are, when you're in a reactive mode, as opposed to a proactive mode, it's always much more expensive and it's always much more work than if you did it in advance. That is so good. I mean, that, that is a, uh, some really valid points. And at the end of the day, you do need to set yourself up and prepare yourself. hundred um, percent. Yeah, yeah. Before it's too late for sure. I love it. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, I mean, besides taxes, like, what, what do you see yourself in the future? You know, I, what I've really enjoyed doing these last couple of years is, is mentoring and teaching uh, business owners on how to scale their profits. And while I understand, like, some of the consulting I do might not be affordable for somebody who's starting out, one of the things I'm working on now is creating a, uh, an online education platform where folks come on at a relatively low investment and, uh, get to know all the nuts and bolts, all the tax breaks out there. Because I feel like, you know, if, if people don't really know what's going on, they're not on a level playing field. It's true. And so that's the one thing that I'm looking to develop right now. I'm really excited about, but what I really enjoy doing is seeing people change their lives. And it sounds kind of cheesy, but when I'm helping people out in their businesses, I realize that their businesses are just a reflection of who they are as a person in real life. So sometimes a lot of people are struggling in business because they're struggling at home. I'm like, okay, let's, let's talk about that. Why are you struggling at home? Well, you know, it's like my finances are a little bit tricky and like I, we haven't really figured out budgeting yet. It's like, okay, let's look in your company and I ask them, hey, have you set up any bookkeeping? Have you set up your um, reporting profits and losses and stuff like that? And we look into it, it's like they don't have anything set up. So we spend the time, invest the capital to build all this financial infrastructure and once we start getting everything running smoothly, the amount of stress and anxiety that gets released, because now they know their numbers, they understand where they are profitable, 
it manifests in their household at their at their home as well where now like the husband and wife aren't arguing anymore because they know that they're getting a paycheck from their company right the husband and wife aren't arguing anymore because they know the business is profitable that's predictable yeah. they're not like going down some rabbit hole and what like I, I find all the time is like your business success is a manifestation of who you are as a person, if you have a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress in your personal life, it's going to show up in your business. So if there's a way for me to help you get past that in your personal, your mental state or your mindset, your business is going to be magnified in the future. So I really enjoy doing that. And I'm trying to figure out different ways to kind of like put that message out there. That's kind of like what I really enjoy doing. Of course. I love the idea of coming over the course to help, you know, massive people because it's not going to soak up your time. But at the same time, you know, you do it once and you give all your time, all your energy to really perfect this course and, and put it out there. You know, millions of people will be able to be impacted in a positive way, which is very, very exciting. Right. Absolutely. I mean, like all these ideas of tax breaks for the rich and tax deductions that only the rich know about. Yeah. If only average folks are able to understand that they can also utilize them. And that's really where I really want to be able to step in and provide the value. If average folks like you and I were able to realize, shoot, we could do these things too, man. Think of like how much wealth could be built. Exactly. That. And that's how the wealth is being built, you know, by taking advantage of the, the simple uh, just education behind, you know, utilizing taxes the proper way and setting up you know, your entities correctly. I love it. hundred percent. 100%. Well, is there anything that the viewers could do to give back uh, to you? Yeah, you know, that's a really good, that's a really good question. I, I am in the process now of taking in some feedback of things that people want to learn about if uh, in this online platform. You know, if you're a real estate investor out there, um, I work with a lot of real estate investors, but I haven't personally gotten deep enough in real estate to understand all the concerns and everything. If there are common questions, I would love to hear them. So if your audience would like to hop, uh, the easiest way to get in touch with me is either on Instagram or via email. My Instagram is the cash flow doctor, T H E C A S H F L O W D O C T O R. Hit me up on Instagram, send me a private message and say, Hey, I heard you on, on Brandon Elliott's podcast here are some of the tax concerns I have as a real estate entrepreneur. I would love to hear that and use that to build into the course or shoot me an email and it's at Eric at the cash flow doctor. And again, that's, that's where I'm, I'm really trying to make some real impact and change right now is creating this education that investors, not just investors, but entrepreneurs in general can really be able to step up and be on a level playing field with folks that are investing thousands or millions of dollars into their tax advisors to get all these tax uh, these tax knowledge and tax breaks. I love it. I love it. I don't know how you do it, how you make taxes sexy again, but you do it, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, is there, is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with? I think at the end of the day, folks, there is a ton of opportunity. There's a ton of wealth out there. The one, the one thing that many entrepreneurs are short-sighted with and a lot of the folks out there, and hopefully not folks like you or I, a lot of the folks out there think that opportunity is limited, opportunity is scarce. It's not. There's a ton of opportunity out there, and there's also a lot of opportunity just hiding under your nose in uh, revenue and profits that are being paid out unnecessarily either in taxes or wasted expenses, right? So I urge you to 
to look at your books, to look at your finances and see, are there opportunities to streamline things? Are there opportunities to cut down on what I'm paying to the IRS? Are there opportunities to cut down on certain expenses to be able to utilize that capital for other things, whether it's donating to your favorite charity, uh, getting your family another vacation every year, or just investing into your own retirement or opportunity fund. Um, if that's the one takeaway I could give to everybody, that would be it. There's a, just a, a ton of opportunity. And a lot of it's just sitting under your nose. You just aren't realizing it. Yeah, it's so true. I love it. Cool. Well, Eric, you're the man. I, I really do appreciate you taking time out of your day to be able to give back to the audience and, uh, and get people more educated in taxes and, um, and, and bringing it back and bringing it fun, you know, making it fun. So I appreciate you, brother. Um, I love so it. you guys have heard it from the man himself, the cash flow doctor, Mr. Mr. Eric Neem. Uh, if you want to get a hold of him, he already mentioned just a minute ago, you know, how you could do that on Instagram, uh, the cash flow doctor, as well as if you want to get a hold of me, you can always reach me at brandonelliotinvestments.com uh, or shoot me an email, brandonelliotinvestments at gmail.com. Um, if you guys found value in this, please do me a favor and share this content out to people that will help reach my goal of hitting a million viewers. Um, just to get people, you know, excited about real estate overall, the whole goal is to help motivate them, uh, educate them and prepare them to take action in real estate investing, cut off those limited beliefs. So, um, if you find value in this, do me a favor, share this out, get more people interested and hop on iTunes, leave a review, which helps iTunes just uh, put it out and recommend it to more people. And uh, don't forget to subscribe. But till next time, guys, thank you all so much for staying tuned. And uh, we will see you on the next episode. Till next time, Eric, you're the man, brother. Appreciate you. Thank you. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.